The following presentation of the Midland City Planning Commission will begin in a moment. The Midland City Planning Commission is responsible for overseeing the city's master plan, conducting public hearings, and offering recommendations to the City Council on a wide range of local land use issues. The Planning Commission consists of nine Midland residents who are appointed by the City Council. Planning Commission meets two Tuesdays per month at 7 p.m. in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to the regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission taking place on Tuesday, January 24th. This meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Call roll. Fields. Here. Decro. Here. Mayville. Bain. Here. Panasic. Here. McCoy. Here. Broderick. Here. Collinger. Here. Craig. Here. Mr. Chair, you have a quorum. Okay. Next item on our agenda is approval of the minutes from our previous regular meeting on January 10th. Make a motion to approve. Second. second. We have a motion from Commissioner Panasic and a second from Commissioner to approve the minutes from a regular meeting on January 10th. All those in favor say aye. 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 All those opposed, save sign. Minutes are approved. We have no public hearings on our agenda this evening, so we will move to old business. We have one item of old business on our agenda this evening. It is a tentative preliminary plat initiated by MLR Engineering on behalf of Tom McLan Company. Over to Mr. Kane for the presentation. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Planning Commission will recall that at your January 10th meeting, uh, you received a presentation and held a public hearing on the tentative preliminary plat. At the request of the applicant, we did delay consideration of the tentative preliminary plat to tonight in order to permit them to attend the meeting. I'm gonna just briefly recap um, this application. Um, as uh, Mr. Collinger stated, the applicant is MLR Engineering on behalf of Tom McLean Company. This property is located at 6000 Stark Road, generally north and east of the intersections of North Saginaw and Stark Roads. The zoning of the properties is a mixture of RA1 single family residential, RA4 single family and two family residential, and RC regional commercial. And the proposed plat, which is known as Westside Subdivision, includes 65 lots. In terms of our process, I'll just remind you where we're at in the platting process. Preliminary plat review involves two steps. So the first step, which is the step under consideration tonight, is tentative preliminary plat review. This is a review of the salient features of the proposed subdivision, but doesn't include detailed engineering and also doesn't include review by outside entities beyond the city of Midland. Upon approval of a tentative preliminary plat, the applicant can file for final preliminary plat review. When we get to that step, we get the full, we get engineering plans as well as 
circulate those plans to outside entities such as Midland County Road Commission and the Drain Commission in order to get their review and approval um, as part of that process. As I said, the property is generally located north and east of the intersection of North Saginaw Road and Stark Roads. So this is in the far northwest corner of the city of Midland. These properties did recently annex into the city from Homer Township. And you'll recall that the Planning Commission considered in 2022 a zoning petition to apply city zoning to these properties. The surrounding areas are generally consistent with the proposed land uses on this site. So we have, generally speaking, some commercial activities along North Saginaw Road. Um, whereas we have generally low density, uh, primarily one family residential as you move towards the north um, along uh, to West Wackerly Street. The applicant's updated tentative preliminary plat drawing is shown on the screen. The layout is very similar to the plat that you received in your January 10th packet. We do have a number of the contingency elements that were identified in staff's preliminary review back at January 10th um, corrected and we'll go through the remaining contingencies in just a moment. So those contingencies are, all of the contingencies that were included in the January 10th staff report, we're still waiting on confirmation that build, buildable area exists for all of the proposed lots. This is primarily due to wetlands that have been delineated on the site. And we are also looking for a revision of the proposed public roadways to a back of curb to back of curb width of 29 feet, which is the city of Midland standard for residential roadways. These are items that must be addressed during tentative preliminary plat review. They're part of the criteria for tentative preliminary plat. And as such, staff is recommending them as contingencies of a conditional approval. Conditional approval is subject, would be the staff recommendation subject to the contingencies noted. The Planning Commission has an opportunity where there's a contingent approval to waive its right of review of addressing those contingencies. Essentially, staff at an administrative level would review the updated plat to ensure that contingencies are met. If that um, right, if that waiver of review is not issued by the Planning Commission tonight, then the revised plat would come back with the contingencies addressed for Planning Commission consideration. Either option A or B would need to take place before this matter goes further with City Council for consideration. So. Um, we'll leave that to the Planning Commission's discretion tonight. Certainly staff feels that we're um, able to review the remaining contingencies at an administrative level and ensure they're met before moving this item to City Council. But if the Planning Commission would like the item to come back, that is the default setting here. So unless the Planning Commission acts to waive that right, this uh, plat would return to you at a future meeting for um, final consideration. You'll recall that at the January 10th public hearing, we did have two public comments, one concerning the connection to Herbert Road and the other concerning flooding impacts in the area. We are at the second meeting in the process with Planning Commission consideration. As I said, City Council's consideration and the time frame of that consideration will be dependent upon City's receipt of a revised tentative preliminary plat that satisfies the contingency items identified. So with that, I'd welcome any questions. We do have the applicant with us tonight as well to answer any questions the Planning Commission might have. Questions, Commissioners? Just a process one, and I think we may have touched on this last time, but will we see the final? This is the tentative plat review. Will we see the final, or is that strictly an administrative review? You would see the final preliminary plan okay. as well. That makes it a little more comfortable. And we're waiving, if we waive our right for final review, we'll be waiving our right to final review the tentative plat, not the final plat, correct? Correct. Yeah, you would simply be expediting the contingency review so that upon uh, satisfaction of those contingency items, we would schedule with City Council. If you don't waive that right of review, we would schedule the item to come back to Planning Commission. Upon your approval, we would then move the item to City Council. Okay. So. 
Other questions? All right, thank you. Comments, concerns? Just, just a question. Yeah. <clears throat> like anything that we take into consideration and act in a, you know, outside of our normal procedures, should we vote on that separately this evening? We can. Um, I think or that's all what's part of this. I think that's in front of us. I, we could either propose one and then propose that we waive our right to review in addition, or we could do the two together. Just, yeah. It's a question of two separate roll call votes. Or Okay. Typically, when we in the past would have had a double motion, it would be a waiver of rules, and in this case, yeah. you're not waiving rules. The ordinance permits you to waive that right of review. Okay. So, if you wanted to include that in one motion, that would be completely satisfactory. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, I think that's the first question: is Does anybody um, does anybody have any issue with um, waiving our right to review the final, assuming the contingencies are? Just a kind of a point of discussion to do that. Uh, on last meeting, there were six contingency items. Uh, rather than you know going through the two that you've see, received additional information on, could we could you just go through those six and and just say uh, which of those is outstanding versus which are done? Because some of them look like they almost overlapped a bit. Sure. So in your January 10 staff report, uh, we identified six contingency items. Item one was information on existing drainage and topography, which has been added to the tentative preliminary plat drawing. Okay, good. Two was a table providing the area, street frontage, and lot width at front setback line for all proposed lots. That was included in your packet tonight, mm -hmm. um, and that has been provided by the applicant. Uh, contingency three is a carryover contingency into tonight's staff recommendation. Confirmation the buildable, buildable area exists for right. all proposed lots. Four, information on the proposed traffic circles and cul-de-sacs to confirm compliance with city specifications. That information was provided, and we have confirmed compliance with mm -hmm. city specifications. Item five, revision of the proposed public roadways to a backup curb to backup curb width of 29 feet. That remains on the contingency list this evening. And number six, results of the sanitary sewer analysis demonstrating adequate capacity or a plan to address any identified capacity deficiencies to the satisfaction of the city. We have had that sanitary sewer analysis completed to confirm that adequate capacity exists um, to city standards, and so that contingency would be lifted. Given that, the two that exist seem appropriate to defer to staff especially if we review the final one at a subsequent date, right? Yeah. Correct. So I, I'd be willing to move that we, uh, you know, give contingent approval for the, uh, you know, tentative plat uh, with the uh, con and defer to staff, you know, the two contingencies they've identified. This is ultimately a recommendation of city council as well, correct? Yeah, right. So if you want to rephrase that, is uh, yeah, it'd essentially be contingent approval of the tentative preliminary plat subject to administrative review of the contingencies, right? I'll second. So we have a, a motion from Commissioner Bain, and we have a second from Commissioner Fields 
to recommend conditional approval of, tenant, of the tentative preliminary plat and to waive our right to review, assuming that the two contingencies noted in the staff report are met. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Is that accurate? All right. Will you please call roll? Fields? Yes. Decro? Yes. Bain? Yes. Vanasek? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Collinger? Yes. Craig? Yes. Motion passes 8 to 0. All right. Thank you for working through that one on the administrative side. Good call out, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. The next item on our agenda is pub, uh, our public comments unrelated to items on the agenda. Are there any public comments unrelated to items on our agenda this evening? Hearing none, we'll move to new business. We have two items underneath new business this evening. The first of which is a sustainability and resiliency plan presentation by Smith Group. So, Ryan, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, um, I'm just going to give a brief overview and then I'll let uh, Kathleen um, share. Uh, so in, in 2022, um, uh, Michigan Economic Development Corporation's Redevelopment Ready Communities uh, program released their Resiliency Toolkit. Uh, this guide helps communities understand and develop strategies on issues in the community. Um, the City of Midland was selected to participate in the RRC Resiliency Pilot Program uh, to showcase this toolkit. Uh, Kathleen Duffy from Smith Group is here to share the progress so far. Thanks, Ryan. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Kathleen Duffy. I'm an urban planner and principal at Smith Group, um, working out of our Ann Arbor office primarily, but today was in Detroit, so happy to be up here before the snow starts. <laughs> um, gotta say, I'm really excited for it, though. Um, so um, as Ryan mentioned, this is a partnership between us with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. So it's possible you might have seen some of these faces in the past. I know the RRC staff um, changes periodically, but um, these are our partners. Um, I've been working with the MEDC um, for nine years now. And so when um, they approached us to work on this project, I was really excited to um, work with my team to help build this toolkit. And like Ryan mentioned, um, we're we're piloting it both with you and with the city of Marquette. So I am just one of many working on this. Um, and the toolkit really sprang um, from the challenges that we faced during the pandemic. Unsu unsurprisingly, communities across the state responded in different ways. And that MEDC both um, responding to the pandemic and to the challenges um, with Racial, uh, racial injustice and things that happened later on in 2020 really spurred the need to think about resilience and how communities respond beyond just physical and environmental concerns. The governor has declared um, a lot of emergencies <laughs> since 1977 and the pandemic obviously was um, the first of its kind that we've seen and um, 
similarly, Midland is no stranger to other momentous things that happened later in 2020. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the elephant in the room being the dam failure, right? So what happens when um, these, uh, the frequency of uh, disasters um, are, incre are increasing coupled with aging infrastructure, um, you made the national news that day. <laughs> Um, and so again, we're looking at resilience um, in a broader sense, right? Um, the Flint water crisis obviously is another event that no one could have predicted. Um, we're gonna continue seeing more and more challenges to businesses, to residents, to cities, um, as both issues happen from climate change, but also related to just social and economic challenges as well, or health. So um, as Ryan mentioned, we, we wanted to build a set of resources for communities to help talk about these issues, right? Um, and we broke them into these four major pillars um, and thinking, again, going beyond just what climate resilience looks like. So a lot of communities these days are planning for resilience related to like climate action planning, and that's a portion of it, but it goes so far beyond that. And so these four different pillars have a set of um, strategies and objectives and goals and actions, sample um, resources for communities to use when you're, um, like yourselves, going through a master plan update, for instance. Um, it's a free toolkit that is ever-growing. Um, we find it's a compendium of resources as well, so we're finding other, um, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel and find other opportunities to share what other folks have been up to in the state um, and not replicate that, but point people in the right direction. So it's meant to be a resource to help communities think through all of these challenging problems. So when we come to the, the existential, what does resilience mean, right? Like, why are we doing all of this? Because these things, some of these things can be prevented, or at least when they happen, they can, uh, not affect us as critically as we um, may have anticipated. So it's both preparing for those shocks so that we can, when those shocks um, and disruptions happen, we can respond and recover and adapt better the next time, right? So trying to, we, we can't necessarily prevent um, all uh, shocks and stresses from happening, but we can um, make steps in the right direction to recover um, a little bit better the next time. So again, um, uh, this, this broader sense of thinking about resilience beyond just climate and how it relates to social and economic things. Um, but also this de definition, it's both preparing for anticipated hazards, adapting to changing conditions and withstanding and recovering rapidly from disruptions. So as we looked at all of the possibilities of what um, kinds of things might happen in the state of Michigan, um, shocks are those things that happen like that, you know, that just like a flood, like um, infrastructure failure, like a winter storm tomorrow, those are things that happen and it has an immediate um, cause and effect. Stresses are things that happen gradually over time. So the obviously aging infrastructure related to the dam failure, um, but other things um, that we're looking at that we may, they may kind of creep up on us and we may not always realize how much of an effect they're having on our communities. And so trying to really be um, deliberate in figuring out what all of those are and then figuring out some steps to try to mitigate some of their um, negative effects. So as we begun this process, working with Jacob and Ryan, um, 
you know, and, and, and working with the MEDC folks about thinking about why, why did we pick Midland of all the places? Um, the dam, obviously, but also we knew you were going through a master plan planning process and how could we help um, provide support to staff and you all as a commission um, and as a community to help um, brainstorm ways to embed resilience planning into that plan. So thinking about the economic um, opportunities that come with um, outdoor tourism that you're seeing, you know, obviously responding to the pandemic and, and anticipating future challenges associated with flooding um, and incorporating some of those strategies into your Midland City Modern Master Plan. So, um, we have been looking at all of your various studies and plans, um, the, the, the history of annexation and how the city grows and um, the different agreements that um, you have with neighboring jurisdictions, um, more recently looking at housing and non-motorized um, and having those hazard mitigation plans and emergency preparedness plans in place. Um, but what are some of the other things coming out of that, coming out of the housing study? I think one of the biggest things we've heard is housing. There, it is a challenge, and you're not alone on that front. Um, so what are some opportunities to, to think about how both um, economic development and jobs relate to housing, but affordability and equity as well? Um, so these are all the kind of things that we've been looking at and thinking about and um, intersecting all of our research and trying to come up with this baseline assessment, but we're curious what else is out there. So we're gonna do a little interactive exercise. So grab your device, and this goes for you at home too if you're watching, and text to 22333, text the word sites, and we are gonna have a couple of these sessions throughout the conversation. And so um, are there other initiatives or partnerships that we should know about, other things on our on our radar? So if you, or you can also go to pollev.com slash sites, and you will um, be asked to kind of join our poll questions. So this is a way for us to all chime in, chime in independently. Um, you can also shout them out to me if that is easier, but it's just kind of a fun way. Um, just this is just kind of getting our feet wet with the thing, and then the next the next question later in the presentation um, will be a way to see where what people are thinking. So as they um, as you start writing uh, answers, and they'll start popping up on the screen. So any other plans or studies or partnerships? Um, you have the Four Lakes Task Force. Four Lakes, is that what you say? Four Lakes Task Force. Then the MBA has their own infrastructure committee as well. Okay. I think they are looking at housing potentially too. Yes. Would um, broadband connectivity be a part of this? Absolutely. The MBA has something, that's our chamber, Midland Business Alliance has something there as well. Great responses thus far. Another thing, Midland uh, gets a great deal of benefit from are the various foundations. One immediately jumping to mind would be uh, Habitat for Humanity. They were a big part of the housing study in 2017, 2018. 
Health and Human Services Council, Housing and Diversity and Inclusion currently working together. Partnership with the Midland Public Schools to promote youth engagement. That's a great mm. initiative. Housing Task Force. How often does the Housing Task Force still meet? How Once often? Monthly. monthly. Okay. There's also the We Hear You Coalition. I think that's the group that's working with the housing group right now. I okay. think. What is the name? We Hear You. We Hear You. W H Y. One thing I didn't see under as a sub bullet under people was education. And so, uh, you know, that is a kind of an enabler or, you know, for people being resilient is to keep them, mm -hmm. you know, educated. You know, so there's, you could just rattle off a whole list of institutions potentially involved in that. Our local community foundation has also been doing uh, communities of excellence. Would the loons go in there too? What did you say? The loons. I forget there. Oh, really. yeah, they have a lot of community stuff. The, what was that? The yeah, loon. They have the a loon. Michigan okay. Baseball Foundation. Yeah, that's yeah. it. What is it called? Michigan Baseball Foundation. There's actually a Latin player development program too that is doing some work here now. Cool. Cultural Awareness Coalition, what is their um, mission and what have, have they had <clears throat> events or initiatives related to meeting and having a shared purpose that we should know about? I'm trying to remember. I'm not familiar with it. I know that there's the International Women's Group. Maybe that's what, I'm, I'm not sure who, maybe that's what they meant. That group does do quite a bit of like um, different city volunteering, I guess, like community volunteering, but it's more generalized to language and culture than it is to any specific, I mean, any of the other things that we've covered so far. Great. Yeah, um, United Way or Young Leaders, I'm sure is probably already. Yep, we've got the United Way, yep. Great, thanks, that's helpful. So where we are in the process, so um, we are finishing up parts um, one and two and starting to move into parts three and four. So we've um, done a lot of research, grabbing um, all of planned studies, looking at news articles, trying to really understand all of the variety of things that have happened in the recent past. Had a huge brainstorming session with city staff and um, a series of focus groups as well that have helped. So we, we gave a self-assessment. Some of you might have participated in that um, to try to understand where the understanding of resiliency, where the community is right now and where there are opportunities to grow. But also part of that was identifying what are some of the biggest shocks and stressors and issues um, for the city. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of getting into the wrapping up phase of coming up with um, some documentation and recommendations for you. And again, we have to kind of work with Jacob and Ryan on how best to align our work into your master plan edits as you work on them as well. Um, but part of this pilot program is us testing the toolkit, um, but also giving you some strategies that come out of it. So we're hoping to craft two strategy memos that can be um, 
using our technical expertise um, as planning consultants to help support the master plan perhaps or give you some next steps on certain initiatives so part of um, meeting with you today is to help us kind of narrow in on some of those things so um, all the engagement that we've had prior to meeting with you tonight like I mentioned that self-assessment survey where it was trying to evaluate where the city um, and awareness kind of is right now um, several work sessions with staff lots of brainstorming and online sticky notes um, and then we did this workshop in December, which um, we broke into different focus groups with a lot of variety of key experts around um, diff the different topics and really drilled in deep on each of the four pillars to try and um, really uncover what some of the realities were. Um, we're also conducting some follow-up interviews with folks that couldn't join us for that event. Um, so gradually going through our list of the, the foundations are next on my list to try and set up a call for. Um, and, and following back up with uh, Nicole at the MBA, we, we got some info from her, but I need her. She had to run on my call last week. So um, definitely still, still closing the loop on a few things. So what have we heard? This is one of the biggest things that we've heard from all of the different folks that we've talked to. Change. And I think this is... Um, uh, a topic that is hard to talk about and um, all communities are changing and I think we get um, challenged often um, during especially during a master planning process I, I write lots of master plans that we don't want things to change in our community um, but as my old boss used to say there's no such thing as a community staying constant you're either getting better or you're getting worse and how you quantify all that obviously is a uh, um, is how you want to define it. But change is going to happen. Change is going to come. Um, none of us elected to have a pandemic, to have a damn failure, to have these crises happen. Um, and so as we're looking at how the population is changing, how um, our reaction to climate change is changing, um, starting to look uh, at us as this kind of third party folks looking in and trying to understand where some of the pain points might be. Um, this is definitely something that came up in all of our conversations. And so um, thinking about the repercussions of not responding to change, right? And not um, uh, planning for flexibility in the future, whether it's for um, changing your zoning to make things easier for people to build and get approved to, um, working with partnerships with industries to make sure that there's enough workforce housing for them, um, thinking about how, how communities evolve over time and being very thoughtful about um, anticipating how we can be a better part of that future growth. And what does growth look like? Does it continue to be growing out into green fields or does it look like growing in and reinvesting in your existing infrastructure and understanding the financial implications of um, you know, use, utilizing the, the infrastructure that's already there rather than continuing to grow out and what does environmental um, preservation look like and looking at the risks to the river and the environmental systems. So um, this is kind of the, the overarching theme that we've heard thus far. Um, and some people are worried we're not doing enough to um, uh, help propel Midland into the future. I'm not here to say either way what it is. This is just what we've, what we've been hearing. So going back to the different tools and thinking about um, all of the different topics, like I said, we broke into the four different groups. 
um, in December and kind of drilled deep into each of these things um, and and got some top top results. So I'm, what I'm hoping to do is go through those quickly with you and then we're gonna dive in deep to each section and talk through what you what might be some of your priorities as well. So um, I think this whole time it's been hard to not think that the biggest priority is fixing the dam and understanding the implications of flooding and future flooding, right? So what are some, how can we take a step back and think of what are other key challenges and gaps? Um, so place, places, you know, they have environment and buildings and this happened to be the group that I led that day. It was fun to talk to a lot of the um, folks thinking about how sustainability and resilience can be touchy subjects and how do we tie that all to an economic plan of that you can actually like embrace ecotourism, for instance, um, thinking about sustainability as being the new frontier in terms of innovation and coming up with new ways of, um, of, of biomedical, biofuel, all the, all the sciencey things that come along with sustainability that's beyond my comprehension. Um, one of the gaps was also looking at um, how much resilience and specifically environmental resilience goes beyond city limits, right? We draw city limits, the environment doesn't um, respond to those. So how can we work better with partners? And one thought was maybe, is there an opportunity for a broader resilience task force with, within the county um, to try and, and think about things more holistically? And then um, anticipating um, adaptive reuse of existing buildings and sites and thinking about ways of repurposing um, things that have, have lived past their useful life um, and could be used for something different. Um, so people thinking about how affordability obviously has had a huge um, impact on the ability to uh, have folks afford to live here, right? So what can we do to make it easy for people to move back here and start families and make sure that there's enough housing for everyone? Um, but also related to how the, um, the impacts on flood mitigation and other hazards that might happen, how those disproportionately affect vulnerable people and their ability to bounce back. Um, but also things related to mental health. Education was mentioned. This is where we talked into the need for childcare. That was one of the top priorities on the self-assessment for you all was was child care and what how do we think about what that means like the lifespan of education not just school age kids but all the way up to post-secondary education um, here you'll see NIMBY so not in my backyard so how do we um, talk and get folks understanding what the housing crisis is and that it's uh, we need more solutions to um, welcome people to our, our community, but also for people to downsize and upgrade their homes and having just a fuller breadth of housing options um, so that the, the market can stabilize a little bit so people can um, choose to live here and have options, housing options. Um, we talked a little bit about engagement with some of those other um, uh, initiatives and things you mentioned. Um, so infrastructure, um, what happens? To the dam but also um, how car centric of a community i heard you guys um, in the pre-meeting talking about walkability we definitely have heard that how do we make downtown the hub of um, the community center city thinking about how to connect all these areas making it easy for people to walk and bike and not use our cars all the time um, and really embracing the river and all of its um, opportunities as well but also not growing beyond our limits right 
So um, that gets into this idea of like growing in, not out. Um, and I'd like to dig in that more with you guys when we, when we go topic by topic. Um, an economy. This group talked a lot about change. So that's that kind of, um, you know, the, the opportunity of challenges to attracting a workforce to this location, right? So you've got Dow, you've got other great institutions. What is it going to take for Midland to be a thriving, vibrant place in the future to think about um, what it, what industries are going to need, what businesses, you know, business startups, incubators, things like that. There's kind of a missing piece there. Someone mentioned broadband. There you go. It's aging. We've got some is issues with telecom related things. Um, but also, how do we retain our youth and give and acknowledge that kind of, again, the aging, aging in place, but from a, from a young person's kind of perspective. Um, and also the development review process is challenging. So there are a lot of steps and hoops that people have to jump through and it costs a lot to go through that process. And so having a better um, review process, shorter, tighter, more predictable will help folks um, anticipate and be more willing to pitch projects and things in the community. So I'm curious, again, here's our next um, poll question. So you don't have to text again. If you've already gone to that site, you just can now answer this question and they'll, they'll start to appear. So what other key gaps um, are there for the city and your partners in preparing for the next shock? So I just rattled off a few of them. Are you missing any? Did any of those really resonate with you? Well, one thing I'd like to see is, you know, we talk about the demographics changing and certain things aging, but, uh, you know, I'd like to see something on accommodating the aging population rather than just bringing in new guys with the assumption, oh, and we'll force those out or they'll die. You know, we're, we're going to uh, have for some time, uh, I think, an uh, aging demographic, Seems and not all of them uh, need financial support in, in the traditional sense. You know, they can contribute financially, but, you know, uh, they'll leave if the uh, services that they would like aren't, aren't available locally. Is that a problem that we're having currently? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, is it a lot of it is climate act. You know, exacerbated. You know, people tend to like to go to uh, Florida, or their their children. You know, they need need to be through their kids, right? Near them, you're saying? Yeah, but I think uh, that's probably why it's the focus on keeping the younger people here, because then we keep everyone here. I mean, yeah. I imagine even in my own family, if I were to move across the country, they would probably come with me, because there'd be very little reason for them to stay. So I think that's yeah. probably a top-down issue, not necessarily one of the age groups over another. Well, it's not necessarily they, you know, I mean, different families have different dynamics. But, uh, you know, I come from a background where we were in the military, so we're used to moving mm -hmm. and we're dispersed. But, uh, you know, being near a, uh, you know, a relative was more a matter of necessity for care and things like that rather than not wanting to be there. Like in my parents' situation, they would 
just as soon stay on their farm forever, but it wasn't sustainable. Similarly, you've got people who have a certain situation in, in Midland, you know, whether it's multi-story living they don't like or they don't want to keep care of a yard or the time comes. Uh, you know, if their services aren't available, they'll move and, you know, take their bank account with them. <laughs> Do you think those services are mostly housing or like also health services? I, I, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, part of it's housing, I don't think it's health because okay. Midland probably is as good as mm -hmm. you're going to get. But there's a whole thing about uh, social services, Midland tries, but you know, one of the things I'm looking down the road to is, uh, you know, this driving. I don't know how long I'll be able to, you know, do that. So, you know, what do I do? You right. know, uh, it, you know, there are other places that might be more amenable. Conducive to, to that. You know that, right? Right. I think going back to your previous slide too, the um, a couple of your previous slides. I mean. I think as a community, we're very good about when something like the flood happens, you know, we gather a ton of data mm -hmm. and we study it to death and we create groups and um, all of that is fantastic. Um, but when there's so many of those sometimes um, mm -hmm. and there's kind of a lack of action sometimes, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how you bucket that within any of the four, but just kind of for all of that was mm -hmm. just an observation I had of just seeing, seeing, it, on, seeing it on content. So. You're in so much trouble. Parents <laughs> wanted a lot of feedback on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to speak that to you. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe to your point, it's, there's a lot of civic infrastructure, but harnessing that infrastructure to bring about the needed change yeah. is sometimes a challenge. The infrastructure seems to be very productive at creating really positive forums for discussion but um, it's the carrying that through into meaningful progress can sometimes be a stumbling block. I suppose it, it, in the same vein, it almost can create like this mindset maybe that until it fails really badly, then nothing will happen. So it's like we're waiting for an inevitable failure to then say, well, maybe this could be addressed, but also it's gonna take us quite a bit of time to be able to move on it just it takes a while to build things and a while to fix them. So I think that's a good point that you're making, that it, it, time is probably a, an important factor. So a couple of comments have come in. Specialty health services and availability, alternative school options. Uh, this kind of relates to the thing we were just talking about, action plans to address identified needs with key progress indicators for accountability, um, coupled with these next couple, I'm assuming, are kind of related visionary leadership that's willing to take action, um, communication, bold action in the face of some opposition. Definitely, it is not easy to make tough choices and <laughs> tough decisions. Um, and it's hard when um, the there are vocal folks, right, that are um, very passionate um, and, and it's challenging when Often the people that come and fill the seats um, at your meetings or at council meetings are opposed to something, right? We always say that there's the silent majority who would probably appreciate whatever's being proposed, but it's those that are angry that come. And so it's building that network of awareness and understanding um, 
And it's hard to get people to be civically engaged, right? And until it's an issue, does it become um, on their radar? And so, yeah, it's, it takes a lot to be able to take that action. So I would, I would challenge you all during this master plan process to not um, take it, not play it safe. <laughs> um, because we're kind of at this point in our planning trajectory, maybe it's just that point in my career, but I feel like I have changed as a practitioner a lot in the last three years. And now is the time to harness the energy around change and embrace it and figure out what that new exciting thing is. Um, so this is my pep talk. Um, um, so we kind of started getting at this. So how do we, how do we prioritize these things? What are some key first steps? We can help um, leverage our expertise in this and supplement what you all are working on during the um, Midland City Modern, but we're gonna go kind of topic by topic. Um, so as we go through each of the four pillars, be thinking that the toolkit provides um, sample, like I mentioned, sample goals, objectives, and metrics, and resources and places to gather that data. So there's useful data out there. There are benchmarks, there are case studies of other communities that are doing this. Um, you're not alone, you're not unique, and uh, you are unique as a community, but like there are lessons to be learned, right? So this whole resilience program with MEDC is really trying to connect the dots too. There are a lot of similarities between Midland and Marquette. I, I thought we were gonna have completely different strategies, but they're both kind of converging towards the same thing. So um, what can we learn from one another? Here we go, what I was just leaning into, that master plans are the time to take bold steps. So I think often we wait and do the action plan last and we just kind of assemble all the ideas and we never look at the action plan again. This is the opportunity to say, these are our priorities, both as a planning commission, but as a city and council, and these are how we're going to look at our actions and how that's going to translate to capital improvement plans, to future millages, to budgets. Now is the time, and your master plan can be that document that gets the ball rolling and provides more accountability um, with the public as well. And I would also think about your values. So you might be having guiding principles or values, thinking about some of those things within the, the planning document as a whole, and think about how those can be broken down and how you can balance those values. Because we can't always achieve everything in every decision that's made. But there are trade-offs, and in one decision you make might be working towards building more affordable housing, and you can't get all the green energy efficiency that you want. Literally, my colleagues at a meeting <laughs> was at a meeting today where they're like, we want an electric affordable building, and we're like, we just can't make it affordable if we're gonna make it all electric. Mm -hmm. So maybe the next project, it, you have a different balance. So all the pieces to the puzzle um, can all help you achieve and make progress towards those goals and those um, principles, um, but not every single one is gonna be able to, to check all of those lists for you. So as we're thinking about priorities, um, and as you as a commission and obviously um, others in the implementation world of council and things, um, these are the different ways that we've kind of categorized the challenges, frankly, um, that go into narrowing down what are priorities. Um, there are a lot of resources coming down the pipeline, both to help with capacity of staff 
and implementation um, money um, that are coming from the feds, right? We're getting a bunch of opportunities for grants that will be coming with these um, recent bills that were passed. And so now is the time to identify projects um, that might be eligible for grants, right? Like that's an awesome way to get things built. Um, building awareness. How much are people aware of the challenges at hand? Is there a uh, broader initiative that's needed to partner with um, with Dow, with the foundations, with the school district? Who Who is um, already at the table or who do we need to bring to the table to make things happen? And how much impact? So I think sometimes we want to focus on the big things that are going to have the biggest impact, but sometimes it might be a bunch of cumulative small little step, steps that if, in the short term um, it can help move you towards that broader goal. Um, and so as we're like talking about these things and we're trying to get some idea out of you where you think your priorities might be, just keep these kind of um, tenants in mind. So um, I'm curious, kind of, I've, I've kind of like planted the seeds here and you've all done a great job of chiming in as well. So let's discuss a bit about what are some key things that um, this are within this, the city's um, purview to implement and what are some other things that might be a more regional um, thing that's needed? We just put some like food for thought. Do any of these things on the left kind of trigger any thoughts or ideas? One of the um, members of my discussion group was saying that we keep talking about um, sustainability and resilience, but we're not setting any goals or targets for that. And they kept mentioning Oakland County. And I happened to be resident of Oakland County. And I was like, we didn't used to be that way. We just now have our first sustainability planner that's championing a lot of things and a different you know, county official that has moved that to the forefront. But we were not leaders five years ago in that. Um, but part of that is doing a climate action plan and saying we want to reduce our carbon by X amount by 2030 and this is how we're going to do it. And that often has to go beyond just a city. Like you can do it as a city, but you often need to grow bigger and think oh, county. Um, I mentioned the river earlier, having a broader conversation about the impact of contaminants on erosion, on flooding, all of the things that happen with the river go beyond your jurisdiction as a city. Um, are there any other like regional priorities or things that, because part of this is also Midland can't solve all your own problems. <laughs> you need help outside of that. So are there any other big topics or initiatives that you think need a broader conversation or? Economic development maybe? Yep. How so? Well, I'm, I'm thinking of like the, uh, you know, that quote, Bay City semiconductor plant, or where, well, it's not really in Bay City, it's halfway between here and there, and, uh, you know, if you look at uh, some of the big drivers of the economy are going to be maybe small, up-and-coming, or mid-sized businesses, but some are just going to be, you know, I mean, one massive plant like that that brings in hundreds of people is going to have an outsized impact, and like I say, it, it's not going to all accrue to Bay City's benefit, right? So, uh, you know, looking at economic development, uh, you know, especially if you're looking 
real big projects uh, that probably got to be regional because they're looking at airports, they're yep. looking at potentially, uh, uh, you know, some sort of maritime presence, rail presences, and things like that. And those are those are more regional than uh, city, and they have a huge impact in terms of uh, potential economic development. I, would, I mean, just to build on that too. I mean, the we've heard <clears throat> in meetings, and I think we saw even on the maps today that for some of those things, we don't have a lot of physical area in Midland to accommodate those, um, mm -hmm. mainly because we're fortunate to have a fantastic corporate partner um, who yeah. uses most of that already. But that does mean that some of those smaller companies, to your point, can't find what they need in Midland right. sometimes. Um, doesn't mean that they want to have people that work there live in Midland or et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, and we've seen that uh, when we had, I think, a truck furnishing company who wanted a facility in an area that was more, uh, you know, lab and stuff like that, and they moved. I mean, not far, and to some extent will accrue some benefits from that, but uh, uh, again, it's uh, not all in the, you know, city, uh, but it has an impact and should probably be reflected in the plans to a certain extent. I mean, the other thing I was noticing too is we, that same corporate stakeholder is very aggressive about sustainability and resiliency um, from just their corporate perspective. Mm -hmm. And so and we've got a whole bunch of intellectual capital in the city of Midland related to that and otherwise. Um, that again, to your point, it might be a more regional issue that needs mm -hmm. to be addressed, but that could be a way that Midland potentially could be a leader and that we've got somebody who's already setting a good example from a corporate perspective. And there could be stuff that we could glean or stuff they've already mm -hmm. done, targets they're trying to set, or just knowing how to set those targets in the first place that we may be able to glean mm -hmm. some experience from as well. Absolutely. I don't know if these things qualify for this section or not, but thinking about regional advocacy partnered with economic development, thinking about small businesses, uh, parking um, allowances or, or requirements, also thinking about, um, oh, there was one more thing. And then also we had, had a presentation, I had three things on my mind, I forgot one of them. Uh, we had, had a presentation from the, from the city dump and I'm probably using the wrong terminology. Oh, the landfill. The landfill, <laughs> thank you. And uh, as everybody's looking at me. Um, and we had a whole influx of additional items partnered with the flood that took how many years off of the longevity mm -hmm. of it? It was like like 17 or something crazy like that. A couple decades. And that may be something that, I don't know, elevates to a regional level or I, I don't know, but that sticks out in my head too. Go ahead. I was just going to uh, piggyback off of that because you talk about um, business resources or even um, things along the line of real estate. I think a lot of times when you just we talk to just regular people wanting to do something in business or something in real estate, um, but just don't know how to engage with that, whether it's with the city or with and, and having some level of resource to allow you know, the everyday person to be able to you know. And, and when they do that, then obviously they take the pride in it and, and um, 
know, and, and move that as well. That was the other thing I forgot was a higher density allowance on our POSIS stamp, potentially mm -hmm. with accessory dwelling units, yep. something along those lines. I would love to see allowances made for that. I don't know if that can be done at a November view or mm -hmm. needs to be elevated to a regional level. I feel like that's a midland. I feel like it is, but depending on how much resistance we get, it may elevate. Well, one thing where we know changing it a little bit, but we know one thing we've run up against a lot is when it comes to transportation, anything public transportation, centralized, et cetera, tends to bump up against it. We just don't have the density. Um, we're, we're too spread out as a city. There's no, like, all these limiting factors tend to come into play that I don't know if they would be mitigated if we were to go more county or even regional at that point. Mm -hmm. But um, I think we've, at least, I've had the yeah, similar idea. We've had discussions recently about similarly kind of a, almost a recreational authority as well where yeah. there might be some things that the county in particular would benefit from in addition to the city of Midland and might actually benefit the city of Midland as well and that um, there may be some things that we could do more of or do better of or we couldn't do on our own mm -hmm. that may be able to do because they have a benefit to people outside of the city of Midland too. Right. All right, so here are some of the um, the takeaways that I kind of hit on earlier, but also some of the opportunities that we've identified with the team and come up with on our own. And, um, and again, one of those is starting to think about um, kind of what you were saying on using DAO as a great example of a corporate partner being committed to resilience and sustainability, but like how you turn that into an economic development driver. <laughs> like. There is business related to that. There are tourism opportunities. Um, working with all of the preserve and other environmental organizations and understanding how that's a huge asset that you have. Um, and then um, realizing, as you were just alluding to, as like a county partnership with recreational things, the natural systems are outside of your control. So having some sort of regional um, task force charged with working on um, on environmental strategies um, and capitalizing on your rivers and making them an asset. Yes, they were an enormous liability <laughs> recently, but we still see them as an asset, right? And I think you all do too. So how do we redevelop um, in the areas maybe that are, we um, don't want to develop in some of the flooding areas, but how can we um, see the river as an asset in your riverfront plan that's going on? right now thinking about education and the greater system of water and where and how stormwater is not a site specific strategy it should be a, a you know district strategy um, and how our water tables work related to that um, and again looking at um, adaptive reuse of existing buildings and knowing that when something reaches the end of its lifespan whether it's a house or an industrial building or a commercial building that that building has a lot of embodied carbon in it. And it had a lot of years of carbon was used to build that building, to operate that building, to heat that building. And when we tear it down, it goes into that landfill that has 17 fewer <laughs> years on its life, right? I think that when you see the staggering amount of data, when that is that analysis is done on what a building's carbon footprint is over its lifespan, it's crazy to think um, about what it takes to make concrete and steel. And you just think of the construction costs right now that we're seeing that are enormous 
how can we think about reusing some of our buildings, but also as institutional buildings, so as schools and churches go out of, um, we're seeing those stop always being what they were originally made for, but being flexible in their reuse and being creative, either in their building or in a site that um, had, no longer has a building on it. Looking for alternatives, that it can't always just be um, an extension of what was already there, but being creative and understanding that those redevelopment sites are an opportunity. Because as you said, there aren't a lot of places left on your future land use map for businesses to go. So what would a creative business look like in a non-traditional place? Like maybe it's a 3D printing lab in downtown. So it's an industrial use in your downtown, but it's jobs, right? So that's being creative. And we used to like zone so rigidly by uses. And chances are those things have changed over time. Industrial uses tend to be less, um, less toxic. I mean, there still definitely are um, challenges with environmental chemical related uh, challenges and emissions and things, but there are a lot of less intensive industrial uses. So thinking about that. So on this kind of topic of place, does anything really like jump out to you? Are, we, are there any key opportunities that you want to see related to environmental parks, the built environment just in general? If not, that's fine too. I, I was just going to note something that came up earlier that I, I, a point I wanted to make that not lose sight of is, you know, as as those trends, the shocks and the stressors are taking place, the built environment is is really not very responsive. I mean, we're we're sitting in the midst of uh, buildings and streets that have existed in some cases for 150 years. Mm -hmm. And they're still where they were 150 years ago. Yeah. And so when we put a 100-year you know, pipe in the ground or when we build a building that's going to be there for 100 years, it really does behoove us not to create a regulatory structure that makes it even more difficult to change something that's already very difficult to change. And so you know, we've got kind of the discussion level uh, as a community about embracing change and being enthusiastic about what the future could bring that would be better than the, the current day or the past. But also, we just have we have regulations that stand in the way of, of that change taking place when there's already so much embedded right. st stasis in the built environment um, to overcome as it is. And so just removing as many barriers as we can to letting the built environment change. If we've got an aging population, the housing doesn't keep up with that. We have a housing system that was built for families with kids that walk to schools that aren't there anymore. <laughs> that, like, that part of the built environment has changed. The housing stock hasn't, and so how do you create a place that's both more flexible to things we might not be able to predict, but also, you know, can be responsive today? Like if someone mm -hmm. comes in and says, I want to make a change here because your community has changed, even though your built environment has not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, too often, I think most communities have a regulation in place to make sure that built environment's locked into what it was when it was constructed. Can we just like bottle that up into a little talking point and it's on video so fortunately okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut that and splice that well. into that's a great way of it'll be a pull out quote on the master plan. okay <laughs> the stasis of the built environment love it any responses to to this topic um, so again, this we see, I mean, I work with a bunch of landscape architects, so it's hard for this not to be such a huge, we think what we think is a huge opportunity and priority is to 
you you have a wealth of natural resources. How to build on that both um, in our, in a preserving the riparian environment and wetlands and everything, but also how does that become a health related thing for people getting out and moving? I heard you say that people don't bike in the winter. Yes, they do, and they can, and they can do it safely, <laughs> right? So my sister lives in Minneapolis. There you go. They, they plow those bike lanes. <laughs> And it lets people, she lives right by one of the lakes in Minneapolis, and there are people, those Scandinavian folks in Minneapolis, all weathers, right? So embracing our four seasons in Michigan, you up here have a little bit more snow than I do in Royal Oak. So I would love to come north and visit my aunt and uncle in the area more to enjoy those uh, snowy things, right? So um, we just see huge both health impacts, educational impacts, Letting the nat you know, restoring the natural environment to help cope with some of those <laughs> shocks and stress stressors. So when it comes to people, housing is potentially one of the top issues that has been identified. And I'd be curious um, to hear if that has been emerging in your discussions on the master plan as well. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of need there. Um, You've had some studies and things, but what are what are the next steps in action? I heard ADUs earlier, more density, rethinking former school lots. Um, would you agree that that is potentially one of the top priorities that's been yeah. mentioned thus far, or is there something else? I think one of the bigger things with housing in particular is, is accessibility, for lack of a, a better term. Um, I think the housing stock in Midland is very accessible for a certain group of people. I wouldn't say it's accessible in the same way for everyone. Um, and I think what Jacob was saying earlier that tends to connect back to the built environment that has been here for you know, 30, 40, 50 years at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's just not as attainable for everyone as it used to be. That's, a, yeah. that's more mm -hmm. of a stress, I guess. It's more chronic mm -hmm. than it is acute. Um, or a shock, but um, it's probably the most, you know, uh, succinctly identified with the uh, housing analysis that was done in 2017. Yep. So it's that middle missing housing, but I think even kind of beyond that, there's additional accessibility as well. Yep. Just a quick question. I'm sure somebody knows that. How much of our housing stock did we lose in the flood? We, we lost some, but uh, has that been like a percent quantified or? As a, as a city, it's a pretty low number compared to the overall stock. Um, okay. A bit more loss when you look at a countywide level. Okay. Um, which I think you sort of fairly have to do since there's a fair amount of bleed over in mm -hmm. people's residency. Um, I think the, probably the more, the, the larger stressor on the market is the other forces at play in terms of mismatch of supply to the needed um, demand, price, stress, really lack of lack of construction, construction costs, um, all kind of overlapping during a you know a big demographic swing. Yep. Building affordable housing is not affordable. <laughs> it's hard to do, yeah, you know, yeah. but the price is the way they are. The so. gaps are enormous. Yeah. For the attainable, some mm -hmm. of the affordable, affordable stuff. The, the lower, you know, you can get some HUD funding that yeah. can help fill those gaps, but it's that 80% AM, AM, AMI to 120% AMI that is in critical shortage right now um, of affordability, for sure. 
I would love for Midland to be, I mean, as, as the other Tri-Cities are like building out more, I would love for Midland to be an option for people. Like, it seems like there's a lot of, I work in Midland and live in Saginaw, or I live in Bay City, or I work in Bay City and live in Saginaw, but we don't really hear as often people who both live and work here or even work elsewhere and live here. And it seems like 30 minutes is the same regardless of the direction. So I wish that we had, I think, on the same vein, I suppose, more options. But I don't think it's only housing that makes us a choice to live in. Obviously, it's a big factor. But you know, people look at what's surrounding them. And if another city beats that and is the same distance away, then most people choose that place. Let's dig into that more. What are some of the other things that affect beyond affordability? Like, why are people choosing other places? What's around them? I think that the pandemic almost probably made people more, take more consideration into what their lives will look like long term, especially before they have families or if they do already and they have younger children. I think that we were very attractive to families because there were all these recreational things to do and then other people who had, you know, children, whereas now we're having schools closed because of a lack of children to put in them and then they're torn down because they don't even anticipate we'll have that population back again. So I think when you consider your life, if you know you're gonna be here at least until your child is 18, you realize that there's very few, you won't have childcare most likely, you maybe won't have the recreation that you're looking for and there's maybe no entertainment for the adults in your family. So you choose a city that better accommodates those things. And I think as a, result we could see i mean i feel like it'd be a major tragedy if like dow left but if most of the workforce isn't here anymore and then the cost continues to increase there's little incentive to stay so that would affect us in a major way and on the you know vein of resiliency we haven't really done much to make sure that that doesn't have a massive impact that's the second sound bite that i want to get well, i think yeah. i think i think it's the kinds of work that are being yep. done too so mm -hmm. you know 50 years ago Move to Midland or other place because you had to physically go into right. whatever job mm -hmm. you were going to do. And now, That's I think even before the pandemic, but accelerated by the pandemic, like you could have a whole bunch of companies in Midland that aren't actually physically present in yeah. Midland as well. And vice versa, if you want to get into personal helicopters there you go. again. Anything else on this people people front that you want to lift up as a high priority? I, I, Ariel didn't uh, bring this up, but I think one of the things that a lot of those workforces or uh, working groups are looking at is making sure that it's a welcoming place. And I do think there's some perception of <laughs> the community being not that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not universally welcoming in all cases. Um, I'm not sure that that reputation is always deserved, but nevertheless, it is it a reputation that exists. Um, or even more like broadly, maybe people not seeing themselves in Midland because they don't connect to the major things the community is known for. And so like we've done outreach with the schools and a lot of the students have, have kind of relayed that because they're not STEM focused in their educational pursuits, they don't see a future in Midland. And, and you start to go, well, you know, Dow hires chemists, but they hire HR generalists and they hire PR professionals and they, somebody's mowing the grass. And there's, there's a lot of opportunity here because you've got that company here. Even though the opportunities we either perhaps disproportionately benefit from certain uh, really great opportunities, 
those other opportunities are there. They just get obscured by like yeah. the big picture of what's here. So I think that also goes to welcoming to say like there's room for artists here and there's room for educators and there's mm -hmm. room for uh, not just scientists. And telling that story like and, and, and sharing and what that means mm -hmm. beyond so that the kids know and feel pride in that too, right? It goes back to just like who you are. Yeah, welcoming. It's a great way to put it. Um, One thing that Ariel's comment made me think of is just our connectivity within the region and not just thinking of that as a city mm -hmm. issue. You know, if you can live here and know that you can go out someplace in Bay City and get back without having to drive, like, does it make it, does that tip in our favor in some way or whatever the issue is for an individual person, but thinking about how easy it is to get from place to place without driving your own car. Yeah, the highways are great, but they can also be a physical barrier. Right. Well, right. Right. So some of the things you guys were kind of alluding to with like rethinking neighborhoods. Um, one thing that we're incorporating into a lot of our plans these days is rethinking what neighborhoods look like, how they can be equitable, how they can be complete looking at what it takes to get, like you were saying, the density for transit, but understanding how um, neighborhoods are so much more than just the houses. How can we um, create places that, again, you can walk to with all the different amenities and um, have the technology you need to work from home, right? And build wealth by um, home ownership and all of, uh, for no matter what your um, income level. So um, this is potentially a piece in, in looking at a holistic kind of neighborhood toolkit to strengthen that, that built environment stasis. Um, and one of those is to really think, look at um, all of your green and connecting the green and how um, those can be thought of as permeating beyond just your parks, right? Like what does it look like to have connections and giving people access to um, parks and letting those parks be hubs and how can parks be more than just parks? How can they be community hubs and places for people to um, not just recreate but gather and have um, pride in neighborhood and all sorts of things have, have them turned into resilience hubs so when there is an issue it's a city property that has um, resources and easy access and making sure, I mean you look at this this walk area map of how much is walkable in your community is that light green but look at the areas where there are priorities where there are gaps um, and what does it look like to plan ahead we didn't always plan with with the recent subdivisions in the last 30 or so years we weren't as good about planning for parks right um and so that's um, many of those areas are purple or on the outskirts of town and how do we connect them into and have the same great resources that are already available with all the little pocket parks in the kind of center city. Um, infrastructure. Um, I think we we definitely mentioned the, the broadband before, huge. Um, thinking about the waterfront, we've kind of talked about that, but also let's talk a little bit more about being a car-centric city. Um, you guys were saying being able to have everything you want in the community, not having to go to another community, like what makes it a desirable place to live is how all, 
easy it is to get from place to place? Is it too easy right now to drive from place to place? Um, what are ways that it is not as friendly <laughs> to drive? And hearing about um, having better planning with fewer cul-de-sacs and having better access, obviously that has um, emergency response um, opportunities as well, right? So as subdivisions are coming in, thinking about how they can connect to their neighbors, um, uh, stormwater, that would be another piece that likely needs updating, right? How can we be at the cutting edge of low impact design and thinking about district stormwater um, management practices instead of just single individual lots? Anything in this um, section that you want to um, prioritize or fill in some gaps for us? I guess the only thing I would add potentially is especially with the, I think we've mentioned it a lot, but the, uh, with the connectivity. I mean, you've got uh, downtown and Center City, which is a big one, um, but there are a lot of other places in Midland that could be connected to those two areas, connected to each other, just kind of start expanding the circles out to a certain degree. And I would even connect it back to, I think you mentioned it too, just the parks that we have here, um, I think we have a lot of pocket parts already um, to a certain degree. It's just that people don't know that they're there and they, and it's hard for them to access that as well. Unless you know it's there, um, you know, you're not gonna necessarily go to it. But when you get there, it's like grass. Yeah. So people are like me. You can see this brown sign that says you're, it's over in that direction, but yeah. it's green. Yeah. Right. Is this a side yard? Is Here's this I like the restoration effort being called out for the downtown area. I think that there's so much potential there. Um, and I think any kind of a future assessment of the city would probably be pretty downtown-centric downtown if someone were looking to develop or you know house or even do things for fun. That's kind of all of those things. So it makes sense in my mind that it'd be a priority since it's a little bit of everything down there. I think the school being there also could lend to more business use if we could get some of those, um, some of the vacancies filled. How about the converse of that and the growth and annexations and how, what are, how much have you guys talked about like the city limits and um, at what point does Midland reach its extent, its its final extent, or does it keep growing? Has it already reached it? I was going to say, are we well, there? reached it 20 years ago. <laughs> the concept you've got to, if you agree with it or not, or want to change it or not, I mean, the MUGA is a key element to the, uh, what was thought to be the limits of the city of Midland, right? That was, I think it's more of a vision. Yeah, but it I mean, it's backed up by a certain, uh, you know, you know, ability to connect to the water supply or the sewers, or you know, there are some teeth to that, though. 
Yeah, I think without the, the teeth of the, the need for access to our water system, that, that policy wouldn't be tenable in today's yeah. world. Um, and it's definitely had plus sizes, uh, plus sides to it. The, the, the interesting thing from a planning perspective with MUGA is often where urban growth boundaries are established around the country, they have the effect of, of driving density and ours really hasn't had that effect because it's, it's really, we don't have a lot of natural barriers to our, to our north, uh, east, and mm -hmm. west. And so expansion's really been fairly easy um, to accomplish. And land values are relatively low in the region compared to other parts of the country. And so those force factors that might have compelled mm -hmm. more density through that policy haven't really been at play. I mean, the benefit is in the alternate universe, we might be a city of 25,000 people with a Larkin Township of 20,000 people and be competing over resources and, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, have, you know, urban decay in certain areas that we don't experience. So there are, there, I think, in my view, the biggest benefit of the MUGA policy is it does bring so many of the community stakeholders under one political umbrella right. where we all have to hash out these issues right. together as opposed to having competing jurisdictional um, situations. Um, but it is something, the Planning Commission just, you know, Kath, Kathleen, for your reference, doesn't, the master planning is when we get into those conversations because right. annexation decisions are made at a council right. level uh, in terms of setting those agreements. But uh, I think there's certainly a lot of fair questions to ask about if those policies remain in place, what does that look like? What kinds of development does the city, I think we had some good conversations around that earlier, what kind of development takes place in those areas could be as foundational to the impact of that development as whether or not it happens at all. And if the city is more interested in replicating what's worked really well within the current built environment of the city or, or doing a better job even, I'm sure there's a way to do a better job in some respects with that new development to make sure it's an asset to the community long term um, and still maintain the benefits that MUGA provides in terms of you know, bringing the growth within the city. I think there's a separate but related question around after building any of that new infrastructure, roads, water, sewer, maintaining that in addition to what you've already, the, the stock you've already got um, and doing both at the same time. Um, that's always been a big question mark for me is like at some point logically I just assume like the math is going to stop working um, to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So when does that become untenable and what do you do at that point? I, I don't know. And at that point you're describing jobs that we would need people to do. So I think that's probably why we see this as a big circle because like where, where will they come from? <laughs> like if we don't have any. Right. <laughs> where will they live if we do have them? Yeah, exactly. And MOOC is also partially responsive to limitations on growth within the existing built environment of the community. So, you know, there are different ways to approach this. A, a more traditional urban growth boundary would make it harder to develop on the edge of town in order to promote developing inside mm -hmm. the city. You know, I think that's probably not a tenable solution here. So if we're going to have relatively easy development conditions on the edge of town, we probably need to make sure that the growth conditions within town are as easy or easier mm -hmm. if we want to promote infill, if we want to mm -hmm. kind of level the playing field. And there's a lot of incentive tools that go behind that, but some of that's just a regulatory question of, if someone has a, if a developer is site A out in Muga or site B in Center City, are we going to make A really easy out in Muga to develop and we're going to make B really hard? And I think a lot of times the answer to that question today is yes, yeah. we make B really, really hard yeah. Yeah. and we make A, it's pretty easy. Yeah. And 
I think making A easy isn't necessarily bad for the community, uh -huh. but, but making, making B really easy. hard is pretty bad for the community <laughs> in a lot of respects. Yeah. That is where your master plan can help. Like obviously council has to be the ones that approve or whatever, but be thinking about that as you're looking at future land use, like what is it gonna take to make that as attractive as possible and setting up the benefits, but also what are the what are the roadblocks into getting that, um, getting there, but also making it attractive. What are those amenities? What are those incentives? Um, yeah, make it a really fun, fun master plan, get there. Um, and so one of the thing, you know, on that, on that front is looking at infrastructure, um, beyond just how we usually think of water and sewer and roads, right? Like, let's talk about what are some of the other systems? How do we incorporate sustainable and resilient systems into energy and composting and waste management and, um, and how that, those systems as, as we're growing are, we're growing um, not just, you know, place-based kind of mixed-use, walkable, desirable place, but a more resilient place um, when it comes to all of the environmental and ecological challenges. Um, uh, all right, last on the economy here. Um, we've talked a lot about um, the opportunities in downtown and thinking about how best to harness the workforce and making sure that there is a good balance of uses so that people feel at home here. Um, also education and promoting opportunities in the trades and thinking about vocational education as much as STEM education and all the other things that go into creating a diverse city. Um, it's funny because I, I had my my cousin lives here. She's twenty nine, and I said, "So you live in Midland?" I said, "But what what would you like to see in Midland that you go to Bay City or Saginaw for?" And it was this exactly this line item of housing and entertainment. She's like, she and her partner barely can afford their apartment that they're in within city limits, and she wishes there was more entertainment. So I think that just was. I mean, I didn't even like lead her in that when I asked her that question, and she basically said what was already written here on the side. So, um, what does that look like for people in that age bracket, like post college, post school, kind of starting families thing? Like, how can they afford to be here, but also see themselves here for the long term? Um, but making sure that there are jobs and houses, housing and entertainment, the whole circle of that. Um, and then this, this idea of nimbyism kind of comes into the economic challenges as well. Like we were talking about making it easy to develop, um, not seeing developers always as the enemy. <laughs> they can be partners in helping you achieve the change you want. I think that that kind of, we get nervous about change. I mean, I bought my house and these were the conditions in, of my neighborhood when I bought it. And when something changes, that deviates from what you, you thought it was going to be. But um, trying to think about changing in a, in a positive way and how can the master plan help set you up um, in talking, how to talk about redevelopment, right? And how to um, have those conversations with neighbors and getting people to understand the broader challenges that go into redevelopment and how it's not just as easy as building 
uh, eight more single family homes on a lot that it, it, we need different types of housing. We don't just need, you know, $500,000 brand new homes, right? So how do you like kind of put that on um, into how to talk about things, right? And how to get people to understand um, how the development process works. You're all intimately familiar with it. You may not have been before you were on planning commission. <laughs> Um, but what does it, how does that as a piece of the puzzle and how, what you directly have control over as a planning commission specifically, um, but suggesting changes to ordinances and codes and things like we've talked about so that it, that if you are, are clear in your ordinances and plans about what that shared vision is for the future, how do we get there and how do we make sure the process enables it and doesn't make it disincentivized. Anything else on economy or any reactions to these kind of topics, the things we're missing? I think one thing about my missing, I don't know if it fits underneath the economy, but it, it just sprang to mind when we were talking about it, um, is food. Um, it's availability of food, for lack of a better term. Um, so, I mean, we've got pretty dedicated one or two pockets in the city of Midland. Um, where there are large supermarkets, we've got one or two kind of more local ones, which are fantastic, but that's it. Um, and as far as, you know, being as a big of an area as we are, um, I would assume a lot of people are traveling, you know, traveling at least some distance, um, probably a lot of distance a lot of times to get food. So, and it's even just things like, you know, we have a, a fantastic farmer's market it's downtown, which is convenient for some people. Um, but if you're living in Larkin and that's the only farmer's market around, I mean, that's that could be 15 minutes. To, again, by Midland standards, that's a lot. Um, but just things like that, I think, um, are things that need to be talked about as well. Could the city better harness um, proximity to agriculture and the opportunities that come with that? When we think about like urban agriculture and locally sourced food, I mean, that's just a whole awesome opportunity, both health related, but also economy and supporting those smaller farmers and getting people um, tied to the farmer's market so they have a place to sell their products that then, you know, having the um, incubator space for folks that are, that want to, you know, make their own um, small batch food processing, having those resources available, and then the storefront that they need once they've created enough of a business that they have um, a small little store to sell their honey and and you know home ag kind of products. So that thinking about that pipeline and the food, we're always going to need food, <laughs> uh, and how do we ca capitalize on that both from a purely access and to it as an economic opportunity to. Anything else? This is not the last time that you can chime in on all of this. Um, as we're wrapping up here, you know, I think we all have seen a major shift in how the economy and jobs and workforce <laughs> happens, right? With As I look forward to working from home tomorrow, because today has been a busy, long day. 
right? Um, what does that mean? And so I, I kind of alluded to this incubator space, thinking about flexible um, workplaces that aren't just um, offices and what we've traditionally thought of as storefronts and making sure your plans and zoning ordinance and economic development tools incentivize this kind of fun new cool spaces as well. So um, that's all I've got tonight. Does anyone have any questions? We're going to be continuing to wrap up our community assessment kind of document and I'll add a lot of these comments into that um, and then and then we're going to try and help you with a couple key strategies. <coughs> um, other questions or comments or closing thoughts? I think the only thing that is top of mind for me is when putting this together, I don't know if it's something you're already planning on doing, but you mentioned the city of Marquette is somebody that you're working with as well. Um, so whether it's them or just in general in Michigan, other communities that are doing really well at some of the things that are being mm -hmm. suggested, um, just anything that kind of gives us more of the tangible even like visual benchmarks around like, okay, we've talked about this, here's a community who's doing almost exactly the same thing, here's how they got there, but then maybe even like, you know, here's a picture <laughs> of what it was and what it, what it became and, and we know the steps to get in between, I think would be, would be really helpful to us. Yeah, that's a big component of the toolkit that we're still building out too is our case study database. So we have a couple ideas of how to get that onto the website. Um, but part of that is we're helping MEDC with updates out to pushing out to com their communities um, and we'll be writing a case study. I have one that my colleague wrote that I need to review for the city of Ferndale. We just finished their um, master plan update, incorporated a climate action plan. Um, when it comes to that like sustainability, like trying to pilot composting programs and stuff, they're at the cutting edge of a lot of the sustainable things, so much so that their mayor um, became the county executive, and that's why we've had a huge shift in prioritizing some of those things. And the sustainability director was the sustainable director of the city of Ferndale. So there, and Ann Arbor, obviously, their their client was looking at their climate action plan yesterday is really good. Um, so yeah, our our goal is to be able to capture those stories and disseminate them. But yes, we will add specific examples of where we think that are applicable to you specifically, too. And any opportunity, I mean, if there, are, if there are communities that are actively working on the same things as well, that just there kind are. of, that, hey, I'm doing this, this right. is working, this is not working, or hey, did you encounter X, I'm, mm -hmm. I did it, I resolved it in this right. way, maybe that'll work for you. That's definitely one of the goals of the Redevelopment Ready Communities Program is to find those peer cities and connect and learn from one another for sure. So, yeah. Well, if that's it. Anything else, guys? Else? Thank you so much for your thoughts and input. And any other um, ideas that might come to mind, shoot it to one of these guys, and they'll make sure we get it. And happy to have follow-up conversations, too, if that floats your boat. That's all, right. all. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. So we have one additional item of new business this evening, um, and that is a street vacation. Uh, specifically East Pine Street. Uh, I would like to excuse myself due to a personal <laughs> conflict of interest. Yes. <laughs> yeah, please step down. Thank you.
right, so um, our request uh, this evening, this is a technical review and recommendation from Planning Commission for a petition that was received for a vacation of a portion of East Pine Street. So we have an application or a petition to vacate East Pine Street um, from an abutting property owner. Um, this is part of the Carpenter and Hines addition to the village of Midland City. So this is a very, very old plat uh, within the city of Midland that encompasses a significant part of the, the midtown and uh, downtown areas of Midland. The city had previously vacated other portions of East Pine Street. Um, this is particular section is located between Ashman and Rod. The majority of that right of way between Ashman and Rod was vacated by the city um, in the 1960s, um, kind of coincident with the Midland Public School sale of that property. This property originally held the community's high school and then with the building of um, Central Intermediate as a new Midland High School, this became a middle school and then with the building of a new Midland High School and the moving of the middle school, the property was purchased by the city and became Grove Park. So this right of way is adjacent to Grove Park. It does currently provide access to the petitioner's parking lot as well as the Grove Park parking lot, but it is not constructed as a right of way. So it's not, there's not a curb street there. It really is just on paper a right of way and it constitutes part of that parking lot. So on the screen, you'll see a highlighting of, you can see where the vast majority of the East Pine Street right of way would have existed um, today's. Uh, this aerial image doesn't reflect today's conditions uh, perfectly because as you likely know, there is our promenade um, that was constructed across Grove Park um, uh, just a few years back and that's running from Rod Street up to the vacated portion, or I'm sorry, the remaining portion, the unvacated portion of the city's right of way. Uh, the petitioner's property is that that's located here. The remainder of this surrounding area that is a, uh, adjacent to the right of way that's proposed for vacation is owned by the city of Midland and constitutes Grove Park. So it's just an overview. We do have the two abutting properties, that of the petitioner and that of the city of Midland. Um, the petitioner's property is owned RC Regional Commercial and it's currently used as an office. The parcels to the south and the parcel to the south and west is owned by the city of Midland, it's owned office service and it is Grove Park. As part of our review of vacation uh, petitions, this item starts at City Council. City Council refers the item for review by internal staff as well as the Planning Commission. And so we do route these vacation requests through the internal departments of the city. Um, I just wanna review of those five departments, four have no objections to this proposed vacation. Those include the Planning Department, the Engineering Department, the Fire Department, and our Utilities Departments. Um, there are no public utilities within this right-of-way um, and as you would note from the map this is a stub um, and an unconstructed street so from a traffic perspective um, there will be no loss uh, to the community's traffic benefit through vacation of the right-of-way. When we get to public services so public services uh, maintains Grove Park um, and in conversations between the petitioner and our public services director, we've identified seven uh, potential contingency items um, that could be included in a vacation of this public right-of-way. So I will note that the city of Midland has prepared conceptual plans for the reconstruction of the Grove Park parking lot and those were included in your packet. Um, those plans would maintain parking in that portion of the parking lot that's in the existing right-of-way. Um, public services does not object conceptually to the vacation. 
provided that we had an agreement with the petitioner that would address the seven contingencies. And I'll just go through those really briefly. So the first of those contingencies would be limiting the portion of the vacated right of way that is ultimately dedicated to the petitioner to no more than the complete depth of the northernmost row of parking. So currently, when you enter the Grove Park parking lot, there are parking spaces located to your left as you're heading into the parking lot. That is the area that's abutting the petitioner's property. And the recommendation is for the ease and kind of understanding of maintenance and those jurisdictional lines that we encompass an entire depth of a parking space rather than having a property line running through parking spaces. Um, just felt like that would be the simplest approach. And so that would be the first contingency. The second contingency would be the petitioner providing an easement back to the city of Midland. They would provide public access to the entirety of the deeded portion of the vacated right of way for public access, which would include providing pedestrian connectivity as exists today through the right of way, as well as uh, public use of the parking spaces that are in that area. Three, the petitioner would provide an easement to the city of Midland to maintain the parking and sidewalk. So basically giving the city the ability when we're doing our plowing activities within the park to plow these spaces as we would the other spaces within the park. And also to provide the city of Midland the opportunity to reconstruct those amenities as determined by the city in the future. So as I noted, we do have conceptual plans for reconstruction. If and when that project were to proceed, this would provide the city with the opportunity to reconstruct those amenities within that space. Four, the petitioner would share in the ongoing annual expense of maintaining that parking and sidewalk and participate in the reconstruction costs of those amenities in the future. Five, the city would be uh, providing an easement to the petitioner to maintain their access to their existing parking lot, which is located at the rear of their building on their private parcel. And that currently relies on access through that right of way to, um, to access that lot. Six, any change of use to the vacated right of way would be made only upon express written consent of the city of Midland. And so what we envisioned there was if there was ever a desire in the future, and these agreements are gonna be binding for several years and if adopted. And so we would wanna consider, you know, would there be outdoor dining on those spots? Might there be outdoor sidewalk sales, depending on the use of the building in the future, given that it's regional commercial zoning. Um, this would provide some flexibility for there to be a discussion, but would ensure that the city of Midland would ultimately have approval authority over that change of use should it be requested down the line. And then finally, that that agreement, these agreements uh, be binding upon not only the petitioner, but all subsequent owners of the property in the future. So with that, staff's recommendation is to recommend that city council approve the vacation subject to those seven contingencies. In the process, we've had the city council referral on the 9th of January. Staff review took place leading up to tonight's meeting. The planning commission would be asked to make a recommendation to city council, which they will receive on February the 13th. That will, um, if accepted, initiate a series of public notices that would commence with a public hearing before city council and decision on March the 13th. Um, we do have a representative of the petitioner here tonight to answer questions, and I would welcome questions as well from the planning commission. Right, James. Yeah, under staff review, did that include Parks and Rec? Parks and Recreation is part of public services. Okay, so that was kind of my those contingencies are question. Yep, was those are Parks and Rec. So, and then kind of a related question: Why didn't they just vacate it to uh, vacate the right of way to the city and use it as Grove Park? Back in the '60s. No, now, why, why isn't the petitioner of the city who wants the right of way just to be, uh, you know, so they can extend Grove Park? Because a lot of this involves 
conceptually, you, you know, this is one way of owning it versus another in sure. terms of who the partitioner is. But basically what you want to do is you want to extend Grove Park into the right of way of Pine Street, right? This, this action is being initiated by the property, the adjacent okay. private property owner. And so that, that action, I'll let the petitioners representative okay, so they, explain they, they, some of their thought process on why they brought the request forward. From okay. a city of Midland perspective, the presence of that right away has already enabled us to conduct the activities yeah. that we'd like to conduct there. I, um, my and it looks like, yeah, all these contingencies is going to have the effect that basically you're expanding the, the park, right? Well, it'll have a twofold effect. So yeah. the park is a um, ordinance defined park. Right. Um, the legal description of that park does include the vacated portions of the Pine Street right of way. Okay. And so by vacating additional portions of the right of way, that will bring that under the fold of that description. And that would be included as parkland defined under the ordinance, yeah. protected under the ordinance. Um, what this will also do is provide for a dedication of a portion of that right of way to the property owner that's petitioned the city. So a portion of that right of way would become private property owned by the petitioner under the proposed conditions. Okay. But they're effectively using that property for parking as they would do now, but what facilitates that is it's a stub that they're proposing to have the city vacate, right? Correct. So the, the current stub both provides access to their private parking lot, but that public parking lot that exists in Grove Park and in the public right away yeah. is used not only for the park, but also as a public parking facility right. for the broader Midtown neighborhood. Right. Okay. Other questions? I think the only one I had is just, again, understanding the contingencies um, and looking at the park's master plan for this area, the, uh, I guess the ingress or the egress, obviously one that's not impacted, one is. Um, so I just want to make sure that, because if you take that away, then circulation becomes impossible, obviously. So is that what the contingencies are designed to address or specifically so the contingencies um, the issues that contingencies are designed to address are one to maintain the petitioners access to their private parking lot so yep. if the city of Midland were to yeah. initiate this Off vacation the they would not have access if we didn't grant easement access to it and so this will this would accomplish that through the contingencies um, the contingencies are meant to address long-term considerations on maintenance and reconstruction of the facilities. So providing the framework under which those decisions are made and that cost is shared. Um, thirdly, like I said, we're trying to identify an appropriate boundary line to establish. So when we're dealing with, um, as we have recently, um, right-of-way vacations where they're located between two similarly situated parcels of land in the same plat, Generally speaking, the, the right-of-way divides in half. So party to the north, if it's a 66-foot right-of-way, gets 33 feet. Party to the south gets the other 33 feet. In this case, because the city of Midland's the other property owner and it's ultimately our discretion on the vacation, we've got a little bit more leverage to negotiate how that ultimately plays out. And so um, conversations with public services determined that it wasn't really advantageous for us to vacate a portion of a parking space and, and have a split ownership across one parking spot, it really made more sense to draw a clean line that encompassed 
one element of the parking lot completely on the petitioner's property and other elements completely on the city's property. And so that ultimately came down to a decision of using that southerly edge of the parking um, stalls that are located on the northern part of the right of way as that boundary line. Um, it just kind of cleanly delineates that those spots, while they are owned by the petitioner, will have access for maintenance and public use. Um, and that the other portions of the parking lot will be very clearly within the description of the parkland. Yeah, so if I'm understanding correctly that that was my larger question is the practical implication is that the property to the north will own those parking spaces that immediately abut their building. Correct. That, uh, that, that property owner will gain the additional property area and the additional parking area. From a public perspective, I think that the ramifications are relatively minimal and, right. and will largely be invisible because the easement agreements will ensure that the public maintains access rights to the parking as they do today. Uh, I don't think most members of the public would realize that's a right of way mm -hmm. today. Um, so from a practical use standpoint for the public, I wouldn't anticipate any, any visible change. Um, and a practical benefit to the community through the vacation process, however, it were to resolve is that that vacated portion of the land would become protected under the ordinance as parkland is, is not, it's not currently in that status, so. No. And, and the additional implication for the applicant is that they have protected access to the parking lot on the back, correct? Correct. Which they don't currently have, okay. And just kind of a follow-up to these discussions is that if we were not to vacate that street stub, then that pl that plan to update, you know, that was included in our packet, you couldn't do that, right? In other words, the city can't build a park on a easement uh, on a on a public right of way. The, the, the vacation, the uh, city's ability to reconstruct that parking lot is not contingent on the vacation. So the city of Midland just says we've constructed a parking mm -hmm. lot there now. We could reconstruct yeah. a parking lot there. I do think that that would probably bring to bear um, concerns over access during construction and, and likely yeah. we would pursue formalizing some sort of uh, easement or maintenance agreements um, given that current configuration. But this would this would just get ahead of that and provide for a... a but this does allow it to be considered part of the park, incorporated in the park with all uh, benefits pertaining to that, right? Yeah, I, I just want to be clear that the... Um, Although the land is not included in the ordinance description mm -hmm. of Grove Park, that doesn't preclude the community from utilizing it as such. It's just not ordinance defined as park land currently. And James, I should I think that helps answer your original question about why the city isn't applying as opposed yeah. to the applicant. So it's not a lot of change from the city's perspective. It's the applicant I think we've heard is trying to, amongst other things, protect their, their access to their back parking right. at this point. Yep. Any other questions? You just have, we did have the applicant here to speak as well. We have a representative of the petitioner. Okay. So, thank you. I will invite them up at this time. Good evening, Planning Commission. Uh, Grant Marshall, 2119 Bayless Street, here in the city of Midland. I'm um, speaking on behalf of the Brodericks that uh, submitted this petition. Uh, really here just to answer any questions you have. Um, just to elaborate, the Brodericks intentionally purchased this property a number of years ago wanting to invest in Midtown. Um, and so in order to facilitate um, continual investment on that site is what's um, initiating this petition. So um, I know we've kind of gone through a lot of the nuances, but if there are any other questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Questions, commissioners? All right, I think we're all set. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Grant. So you need a 
that's a recommendation from us back to city council, correct? That's correct. Discussion, comments, commissioners? All my confusion's been clarified, I think, and uh, I, I, you know, I think it's good for the city, good for Midtown, good for the petitioner, and vacating it down the middle of the property line in this case isn't how you should do it. Should you know what's proposed with all the contingencies? I think benefits all parties concerned. Agree. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Agree. So I'll move that we recommend to City Council the vacation of East Pine Street with the seven listed contingencies. Second that. We have a motion from Commissioner Collinger and a second from Commissioner Decro to recommend approval of vac the vacation of East Pine Street to City Council. Please call roll. Fields? Yes. Decro? Yes. Bain? Yes. Panasic? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying, I'm saying <laughs> I think she'd say yes. Craig Bain stops working at 8.50. Uh, Collinger? Yes. And Craig? Yes. Mr. Chair, that motion passes 7 to 0. All right. Uh, next item on our agenda is communications. I don't believe I'm seeing any, correct? And we should, getting Stephanie. Yes, thank you. If, still out there. She's coming. We'll see how does it. Grab me left. Thank you, Grant. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, so next item on our agenda is communications. I don't believe I'm seeing any. That's correct. Uh, next item on our agenda is report of the chairperson. Um, don't want to belabor it anymore, but do want to take the opportunity just to, again, um, we had the city modern master plan uh, working session earlier today. So uh, just a couple of things that jumped out to me that we've, um, again, discussed as a part of the presentation um, earlier today. but. Um, just encouraged that I saw a lot around just the connectivity between some of our existing places. So whether it's Discovery Square, Downtown, Midtown, Center City, Joe Man, things like that, doing more to connect those places to each other. Um, heard a lot too about what we can do to create new places with um, a lot of additional neighborhood commercial, which I thought was exciting as well. Um, and then also heard a lot too about ways and opportunities we can create value and develop more flexible uses when you know we're integrating some of those new spaces or new areas and welcoming new people in the city and our community as well. So um, all good things and I know we'll continue to make progress. Uh, next on the agenda is report of the planning director. Only thing I'd like to note tonight is that we have our first Midland City Modern Open House event uh, scheduled for February 2nd from 4 to 7 p.m. at Greater Midland Community Center. So we're excited to engage with the community on that. Um, we, as I mentioned earlier, will also be launching our surveys and um, meeting in a box, kind of rebooted 2.0 um, for the public if, imminently. So we're very excited. Before your next meeting, those things will be out in circulation for the public's um, enjoyment. All right. We currently have one item on our agenda, correct? We the capital improvement plan in addition to the special meeting before. Yep. So our deadline for our next meeting was yesterday, and we do we will have three items on your agenda on the 14th, in addition to your special meeting at 6 p.m. on the zoning on it. So we will have the 
presentation on the 2023-2028 capital improvement plan. We will also have a public hearing on a conditional lane, uh, conditional use permit request from the open door um, for a property at uh, West uh, Carpenter and Eastman Streets. Um, and staff has prepared and will um, introduce your annual report for 2022 for consideration of adoption. So um, that will be your agenda for the 14th. All right. Uh, Final item on our agenda is looking for a motion to adjourn. I so move. Second. I have a motion from Commissioner Bain, a second from Commissioner Broderick to adjourn. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. We are adjourned.